So uh, thank you for that, uh, I'll just say introduction. Um, today is my 29th wedding anniversary, and so I told my uh, lovely bride that I'd bring her someplace special, and so we chose Cornerstone Bible Church, because uh, we love you guys, and uh, so make her make her feel uh, welcome. We're actually, it just worked out schedule-wise. We, we spend a great deal of time on the road, not by Works Ministries as our primary ministry, as uh, Steve uh, said, and so we travel pretty heavily, and this happens to be a busy time. So we go straight from here to California, and often we take the kids, some of our kids with us, and they are kind of our right-hand uh, men at the table, but uh, today we're kind of having to do that ourselves. So I really appreciate Wendy uh, helping me out back there. But yeah, definitely come by and see us. We've got, I'm going to mention a couple of things here at the beginning, and then we're going to get into the to the Word of God and, and kind of camp out there for the remainder of our time. But I want to get the preliminary stuff out of the way. The DVD series that uh, that the messages in the 9 o'clock or the 10 o'clock hour and this hour were based upon is called Spirit of the Antichrist. This is 14 plus hours of video, 18 different messages that cover the gamut of this topic back at the back. Uh, so if you're interested in that, the two newest books that we uh, just uh, came out with within the last uh, six months or so, one of them is called The Top Ten Reasons Some People Go to Hell and The One Reason No One Ever Has to. And it's basically an apologetic dealing with what in the world would keep someone from believing the good news. You know, salvation's a free gift paid for by the blood of Christ. And man's greatest need is simply offered freely to all who will accept it by faith. And yet, so many people die in unbelief and spend eternity, a Christless eternity, in, in hell. And so uh, I kind of dove into, based on 32 years of ministry, what is it that might keep someone from believing uh, the gospel? And that's what Top Ten Reasons is about. And then we have a new devotional book, 52 Devotionals to Warm Your Heart and Strengthen Your Faith, Weekly Words of Life, it's called. Each one of these is just two to three pages. You can read it in literally three minutes. And the idea is you read one each week for a year and kind of read it every day that week, and it takes you to the Word of God and kind of helps build into your life uh, spiritually and, and strengthen your faith. Uh, and then I mentioned in the first hour, Canceling Christianity. This is a book by a good friend of mine, David Fiorazzo, hot off the press. He's with Stand Up For The Truth Radio, uh, and it deals with uh, the whole big tech censorship, which is impacted not by works and many other conservative Christian ministries. And so Canceling Christianity has how the left is silencing churches, dismantling the Constitution, and dividing our culture. So I uh, highly recommend that if you're interested in kind of some of the cultural battles that we're facing uh, today. So let's, uh, let's kind of dive in. I know many of you weren't here for the first hour uh, where we talked about uh, deception and some of the ways that uh, Satan is deceiving us today. But uh, in this hour, I really want to kind of give the antidote to that. How can we avoid uh, deception? You know, one of the things we need to understand, and I appreciated our brother who, in his, uh, in his prayer, who talked about how we know who wins in the end. We know Christ is, is the victor. But we also know, according to God's word, very plainly, that things are not going to get better until he returns. And I wanted to introduce this topic by just kind of getting you thinking about the reality of God's end times plan from uh, a biblical perspective instead of just a Western American Christian perspective. Because uh, we've been very blessed in this country uh, with the freedoms that we have. We praise God for that. It's the greatest country on earth. It's done more to further the gospel message than any country on earth. Uh, and yet we're not promised 
that things will always be this way. Sometimes people who understand the Bible in its literal, grammatical, historical context, the way it should be understood, mistakenly assume that you know, the rapture is going to rescue Christians before things get too bad. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that, and it always makes me cringe because that's not the biblical record. And that's not uh, what Christians for the last 2,000 years throughout other parts of the world have experienced. It's too bad right now, very bad, for a lot of Christians who are being tormented, murdered, persecuted. There are more martyrs for the Christian faith today than in any other time in human history. We've been blessed that so far the worst of the persecution has not reached our shores, uh, but it certainly could happen. And the trend, the trajectory is in that direction. Uh, we've seen just in the last year Christians being rounded up and arrested for singing praises to God out in the open air in Moscow, Idaho, for example. We've seen preachers arrested and fined for holding worship services in their own private church buildings where we're praising God and leading people to the throne and teaching the Word of God. We see laws that are being passed making it illegal to teach certain biblical truths like the uniqueness of gender and the fact that mankind is made in the image of God, male and female. Uh, speaking out against uh, clear moral issues that God's Word gives us in, in, in the Bible uh, is becoming harder and harder. And we know, again, if the Lord tarries His coming, we don't know when He's coming back, but if, if it's not soon and the trajectory continues, it's very possible that we could be living in a much different world than what you and I have become accustomed to. I think about my children and my little granddaughter, and I just shudder to think what life might be like for them if things continue and the Lord doesn't come back. So the Bible doesn't promise that the Lord is going to come back and rescue His bride, the church, before it gets too bad. The Bible promises that the Lord will come back and rescue us before the great and terrible day of the Lord's wrath, when He pours out His wrath on the earth through the sealed trumpet and bold judgments of Revelation. That final seven-year period that's referred to in Scripture as the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven years of that 490-year plan that He outlined uh, to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. 483 years of that have already been fulfilled. But the final seven years await future fulfillment and won't occur until the Antichrist comes on the scene, takes uh, the throne and rules in a tyrannical sense over a one-world government, and uh, signs that treaty with Israel, starting the clock ticking on that final seven years. And that's what we're promised to be rescued from. Because the Lord promises that he, the church is not appointed to suffer wrath. Uh, so we will be rescued to be sure. And we will not have to endure the wrath of God. No believer is under the wrath of God, John 3.36. But if the Lord tarries His coming, we may have to face some pretty serious times. And it's going to be uh, important for us as believers uh, to navigate these uncharted waters, at least for American Christians, uh, successfully. I often tell people, has it ever occurred to you that if, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, we all may be raptured as Chinese citizens? Have you ever thought about that? You realize America is really way beyond, in terms of years, the normal average length of, an, of a nation throughout human history. Uh, and we've abandoned many of our biblical principles and foundational truths. We're abandoning the Constitution. As I talk about in one of the videos in this Spirit of the Antichrist series, we've got a, a, a current uh, uh, president 
who is suggesting that the uh, Bill of Rights, that there are no amendments that's uh, sacrosanct, that none of them are absolute, that they can just be dismissed at, at will. And that's the bedrock of our Constitution. As one commentator put it by saying, and he of course was referring to the Second Amendment, the President, um, uh, when, whether we need to do away with the Second Amendment because, you know, uh, it's a bad thing. Uh, but in saying that no amendment of the Constitution is absolute, he essentially put slavery back on the table. That's what he said. I mean, think about the implications of, of what our government is, is doing uh, today. So the trajectory is not good. Now, does that mean it's all doom and gloom and woe is me and the sky is falling and what should we do? Should we all move to a mountaintop and, and just sing Kumbaya and just wait for the Lord to come back? Absolutely not. We have a very clear job to do as believers. The Bible is very clear what the purpose of the church is. And until Jesus comes or we go the way of all flesh, we ought to be out proclaiming the gospel, helping people grow in their faith, uh, being a light in this perverse generation, as Paul says. Uh, but we also need to be realistic and understand that even though we know how it ends, when Christ comes back, takes the throne, uh, and rules in perfect peace and justice, and all the governments are upon his shoulder, and the Prince of Peace is actually... Uh, promoting peace throughout the world, real peace. Uh, we know that, uh, but we have to get from point A to point B. And in the meantime, what this series is all about is that uh, the Bible is very clear that the present age is an age of deception. It's an age where Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, and the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, the devil. That things are getting worse and worse, 2 Timothy 3.13, not better and better. And uh, we need to recognize that and, and, and not uh, just kind of blindly march on and not realize the reality. So I have been studying this stuff for about 15 years. I shared in the first service how I kind of went down this rabbit hole as a part of our broader ministry, uh, focusing on the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel message. Um, but having studied it, I can tell you that in the last year alone, the rate of descent into utter tyranny has accelerated exponentially. And I don't say that to scare you. I just say that to say, if you're not paying attention, um, you know, it's, it's, it could happen before you realize it. One of the saddest videos that I've seen, and, and I showed this one time at a conference I spoke at uh, several years ago, but it comes out of the World War II era and the Nazi regime. And, um, you know, as the Nazis were coming to power in the early 30s and Hitler was deceiving uh, people. It was the church, Christians, that were primarily the ones aiding and abetting it. And uh, uh, But there's a video that shows a uh, Jewish man uh, running at with a suitcase. It's a black and white video, obviously, running after the, one of the trains that was heading to Auschwitz. And it had come to pick up the next load. And he had somehow been delayed or missed it or got to the platform late. And so it took off and he's running, wait, wait for me, wait for me. Not realizing, of course, that this wasn't going to just some uh, work camp that was non-threatening, but was actually leading to their doom. And I think a lot of Christians are blindly jumping on bandwagons in a similar fashion today without recognizing how much uh, we've been deceived. So I wish we had a lot more time together uh, where I could kind of go through some of the material in this series, some of the facts and examples and indisputable things that demonstrate that life is not really what we think. Um, I touched on it briefly, kind of whet your appetite a little bit in the nine o'clock hour, but 
I encourage you to pick up the, the DVD set, or we also have it as a downloadable set, um, because it'll make what we're going to be talking about now just that much more uh, meaningful. Because uh, before you can really implement the answers that God's Word has to deception, you have to recognize that you are deceived. And as Mark Twain famously said, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. And I think that's where we find ourselves in many ways. So the premise of this series, just to review for those of you that weren't here in the first hour, comes from the book of 1 John, which tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist, capital A, the future world tyrant that under the power of Satan will be ruling the world uh, and persecuting Christians like never before and Jews, uh, is already in the world. In other words, that spirit of all that the Antichrist stands for is already at work. Uh, in fact, in chapter 2, John tells us that many Antichrists, little a, have already come, even though the ultimate Antichrist is coming someday. Well, what does he mean by that? He means that Satan is hard at work deceiving the world, preparing the way for his ultimate takeover. He knows the story. He knows that it's going to culminate in this final battle of Armageddon, you know, there, and, and that uh, Christ is going to ultimately take the throne according to the biblical narrative. He just doesn't believe it. <laughs> he, he, he himself is deceived. He is a deceiver, and he's deceived, self-deceived. So he doesn't believe the truth of God's word. There's no truth in him. And so what that means is that for the last 2,000 years, since Christ defeated the darkness, defeated death, hell, and the grave by rising from the dead the third day, Satan has been in a panic mode, doing everything he can to prepare for this final battle. And he doesn't know uh, God's timetable, so he doesn't know when this final end times phase is going to kick in. So in every generation for the last 2,000 years, he has to have his man of the hour, his Antichrist candidate, ready to step into that role. If the rapture were to happen, he's got to have his man marked out. And I believe he knows who that man is going to be right now. And yes, it will be a man, uh, according to the scripture. Um, and, uh, and, and if the rapture were to happen today, then he's ready to, to influence that man, indwell that man, and, and begin the process of this final uh, tyrannical seven-year period. Uh, but he doesn't know, so he's got to have someone ready. So perhaps during World War II, Hitler was his guy. Uh, maybe it was Stalin or Pol Pot. I mean, we don't know. Mao. It could have been anybody. But uh, we know that many antichrists have come, and the spirit of the antichrist is already at work. Paul put it this way, the mystery of lawlessness... This is in 2 Thess 2. The passage is all about the Antichrist, the future man of sin, the son of perdition that's going to rule the world that we've been talking about. But that mystery is already at work. Already at work. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. Deception, we know from 2 Timothy 3.3, is getting worse and worse and worse. 3.13, rather. Um, Paul says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Uh, the coming of this Antichrist, when he does come, is going to be according to all power signs and lying wonders. So that with all unrighteous deception, he's going to deceive people. So it's getting worse and worse. And as I mentioned in the first hour, that's the reason Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, in answer to the disciples' question, what will be the sign of the coming kingdom? How will we know when your return to establish your kingdom is near? In answer to that question, the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, do not be deceived, because deception is going to get worse and worse. So I mentioned in the first hour, and I want to take just a moment to kind of clarify it further, because I was really going fast trying to get as much in as I could. 
what I mean by this Luciferian conspiracy. That's not my term. That's their term. That's been around for centuries. That, again, the greatest conspiracy of all time, according to Scripture, and we talked about this in the first hour, so I won't go back and look at those verses again, is the conspiracy between Satan and his co-conspirators, demons and human agents, human beings that are working with him to usher in this satanic one-world globalist system. That's the conspiracy. We defined conspiracy, or the dictionary defines it, but we mentioned that in the first hour as two or more people working together for a nefarious means. And so the greatest conspiracy of all time, according to Scripture, is Satan, who ever since he got kicked out of heaven, has been conspiring with those one-third of the angels that fell with him, the demons, and also human agents, to try to take over the world. So by Luciferians, we mean those human co-conspirators that are part of this cabal with Satan to try to take over the world. And we know who they are. I outline them. I give you a diagram explaining who they are and the different tiers and, and the history of it and the bloodlines of, uh, of it and so forth in, in the full series. But we need to understand that there are bad cats, if you will, bad forces in, in the spiritual realm behind the scenes that we can't see that are a part of this struggle. There are real flesh and blood enemies, to be sure. Uh, and again, though they're, but they're co-conspiring with Satan. So the ones that are persecuting Christians, for example, the ones um, like Klaus Schwab and others that are trying to bring in, at long last, this one world system, uh, are, are flesh and blood, to be sure. Those are our enemies. But ultimately, the battle is with principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, and spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, it's an unseen uh, battle. So in the full series, I have I take seven manifestations of the Antichrist based on the biblical description of him and the things that he will do during that final seven-year period. And I kind of distill them down, and then I go through and uh, talk about, do we see an uptick in this type of activity today? And the answer is an overwhelming yes. It's obvious for anyone who takes the time to look. For example, we talked about the spirit of pretense uh, in the first session. Uh, but I get into the spirit of phenomena. I mean, when's the last time you heard a biblical, dispensational, Bible-teaching, you know, conservative cr uh, Christian preacher to talk about UFOs and UAPs and paranormal? The Bible talks about that. What, what's going on there? It's not aliens or little green Martians, but it, it is a reality in the spiritual realm. And so we talk about that. Uh, we talk about the spirit of pride and narcissism and uh, the spirit of power and, and, and global surveillance and the global police state. We talk about the uptick in persecution. Uh, we talk about the spirit of perversion and uh, taking the image of God and man and distorting it and twisting it. Uh, we talk about the spirit of pluralism and the Pope and some of the things the Pope has said. Has anybody read some of the quotes that, from his book that just came out March 16th, The Current Pope? called uh, The World to Come, uh, where he talks about in blatant, no uncertain terms, a one-world religion and a one-world system and uniting all religions under one head. Uh, has anybody been keeping up with a Pope meeting with Muslim clerics and stuff just in the last six weeks uh, and, and, and talking about this uniting? Well, I'm not suggesting the Pope's the Antichrist, but we know biblically that part of the Antichrist regime is going to be a one-world system, and this is just a setting of the stage for that. So the question we want to ask is, have you been deceived? Have you been deceived? Now, we have a number of other videos in addition to this full 18-video uh, set 
that I just want to mention. Steve mentioned The Great Last Day's Deception. We have a book and a DVD on that. Uh, one that I did back in 2018, which turned out to be prophetic. I mean, not literally, but in a manner of speaking. And I didn't even know I was a prophet, but was called Red, White, and Bad, When the Country We Love Becomes the Country We Fear. I gave that um, at a conference in Tulsa in 2018. Turns out a lot of the stuff that we talked about there has come to pass in the last year. And then uh, one called Illuminating the New World Order. All three of those, video, those uh, DVDs that you see on the screen are part of a three-disc set uh, called Globalism, Luciferianism, and the New World Order. I also have uh, some that speak directly to the church called One Minute After the Rapture, in which I deal with certain things that will be true for those who are left behind on earth one minute after the rapture, and things that will be true for believers who are caught up to meet the Lord in the air one minute after the rapture. Signs of the Times deals with a lot of uh, unmistakable signs that we're getting closer. Again, we can't set a date. The Lord may not come back for 100 years. I don't think so, if, you, if I had to guess, based on what I see happening around us, but it could be, and we understand that. We're not setting a date, but we do see 10 unmistakable signs that we're uh, most likely living in the last of the last days. And then I deal with the 10 most important unfulfilled prophecies in Scripture in a DVD called Waiting. So in order to deal with how we can guard against this spirit of pretense, the spirit of deception, we have to understand the anatomy of deception. Where did it all start? And for that, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to camp out in Genesis 3 for the rest of our time together this morning. Uh, this is where we see Satan's M.O. Uh, he is... Uh, brilliant, and we know biblically that angels are smarter than human beings because they're not subject to physical frailty. So, you know, as, as the older we get, our physical bodies begin to deteriorate and it impacts our immaterial aspect of, of us. So, but angels are not subject to that, nor are demons. So we know he's brilliant, but he's also not very creative. He tries to be creative because he's trying to mimic God, but he's not. So everything comes back to his same old tired M.O. that we saw in uh, the garden. And we read, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. That word cunning is the Hebrew word ahrum. It means crafty, shrewd. It's also sometimes used in a positive sense just to mean prudent, uh, wise. But in the context of Genesis 3, it means uh, cunning, deceptive. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God uh, had made. And we know that he is the great deceiver. In Revelation uh, 12, that serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, uh, we know unquestionably he's trying to deceive the whole world. Um, and uh, so the, the serpent uh, comes to Eve in the garden and seeks to uh, deceive, ultimately, Adam and Eve. What was his goal? His goal was to bring death. God had plainly said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And Satan lied to them and said, no, you won't. Just, just, you know, just follow me. He used this same MO after Christ came to the earth and began his, his Galilean ministry. And uh, before that, when Satan tempted him, took him out into the wilderness and tempted him. Same, same old tired thing, just follow me. Don't listen to God, the creator of the universe. Follow me, listen to me, and you can uh, have it all. Of course, the problem is he already had it all. Um, so divinity is not achieved, and that's the promise that Satan was giving them, uh, through pagan beliefs and symbols. Uh, that's, that's the way of death. And, and, and what Adam and Eve missed was that 
And of course, they had free will. This wasn't something God forced them to do. Um, he had just simply warned them, hey, don't eat from that one tree. If you do, you'll die. And then, of course, we, uh, we went and took a great big bite. Uh, John 1 tells us that Christ is the creator. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made in him is life. And that life is the light of men. See, Satan is, is not life. He's death. Christ is life. First John 5, where we've been looking at a lot of passages relative to deception and the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist, tells us that this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. So there are four core components uh, that we see in this you know, Antichrist activity of Satan who will then later indwell and inspire the human Antichrist someday. First of all, he questioned the truth. He questioned the truth. Uh, he said, for example, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? I mean, that, that's what he was basically asking. Again. Has God really said that? He's questioning God's very word, questioning the truth. And every lie begins with the underlying premise that we see here in Satan's activity of God's word is questionable. You can't really trust God's word. Can we really trust anything? Is there really any truth that is absolute? Are there absolute narratives? Or is everything subject to individual whims and ideas? It's the same premise that's at the heart of Pilate's question to Jesus some 4,000 years later when he said, what is truth? What is truth? So deception begins by questioning the truth, and it begins with the premise that God's word, which is now embodied in the written, infallible, inspired word of God, is questionable. Deception always begins with a seed of doubt. With a seed of doubt. Then the next thing he did is he misrepresented the truth. He misrepresented the truth. Uh, he says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Is that really what God said? Or was Satan putting words in God's mouth? Let's go back and look. What did God say? Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. That's what God said. And Satan comes along and says, you shall not eat, or, or this is Eve mimicking Satan's deception, jumping on the bandwagon and says, you sh he said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it. So Eve, once again, is misrepresenting the plain, normal sense of what God said. Did God really say that? Notice, the woman said to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, this is Eve, you shall not eat nor shall you touch it. What did God really say? God said, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. He didn't say anything about touching it. And yet Eve, following Satan's example, begins to misrepresent the truth. And Eve also, by the way, downplayed the consequence. She said, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, which again is not what God said, but notice she says, lest you die. Well, that's quite a bit different from what God said. God didn't say you might die, don't touch it because it could lead to your death. God was very clear, you shall surely die. There was no ambiguity in what God told Eve. So 
Satan misrepresented the truth. He, he turned truth into a matter of opinion, a matter of interpretation. Um, and that's what we see. That's why it's getting harder and harder for uh, Bible preachers like your pastor and myself and others uh, to preach and stand firm on the Word of God. Because people say, well, that's just your opinion. That's just your opinion. No, it's not our opinion. It's the plain, normal sense of God's Word. See, what would be the point of God revealing Himself to us through the written Word over a period of 1,500 years through some 40 different human authors in three different languages if the record of that revelation was obscure, undiscernible, meant nothing, not clear? There's a fundamental doctrine that goes all the way back several hundred years ago uh, that we've established as part of the creeds in the Christian church called the doctrine of perspicuity. I've always thought it was an uh, ironic name for the doctrine because the doctrine of perspicuity means the Bible is understandable. And we chose a word that nobody understands to, to use that doctrine. But perspicuity just means it can be understood. That we don't, we don't have to discern the meaning of God's word through some goosebump philosophy or looking for visions in the sky or in a bowl of spaghetti. And we sure don't need some a Catholic priest to tell us, you know. We can read the Bible and understand it. It's perspicuous. It's understandable, right? And so the second thing that Satan does after questioning the truth is he begins to misrepresent truth. But we see here an evolution uh, in his process. We begin to see things go from simply questioning the truth to getting worse and worse into more of a blatant, uh, outright deception. Uh, but the second thing he does is misrepresent the truth. He turns truth into a matter of opinion. It's a moving target. Uh, it can be manipulated or spun, right? It's a matter of opinion. The next thing he does is just come right out and directly contradict truth. Remember, God had said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So what does Satan tell Eve? You will not surely die. That's a direct contradiction to the words of our Creator. He blatantly negated the penalty of death that God had given Jesus said, Satan is a liar from the beginning. Uh, and this is the, this is the lie. The lie is that you can sin and get away with it. There's no consequence. Remember what Jesus said, the devil was two things from the beginning, a murderer and a liar. <laughs> he doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. In fact, everything he, that comes out of his mouth is a lie. It's not that he chooses to lie sometimes. He cannot do anything but lie. He is the embodiment of lie. He's the first liar. He's the father of all liars. And, and, and he, he lied blatantly when he said, you shall not surely die. A little bit earlier in this passage in John's account, uh, Jesus uh, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees in the context of the woman caught in adultery had said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So there's a contrast between Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, our Savior, who is the truth, and Satan, who rebelled against God. Lucifer was cast out of heaven and has since been trying to take over the world as part of a Luciferian conspiracy with his co-conspirators, demons, and human beings. Uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2, John, again, going, we find ourselves going back to 1 John again and again, says... Uh, that no lie is of the truth. So we see this 
this contrast. So Satan's next step is to directly contradict the truth. Eve should have immediately corrected Satan when he contradicted the truth. This wasn't just spin. This wasn't misrepresenting or manipulating or adding a few words here or there or smoothing something out. This went from you shall surely die to you shall not surely die. And that's part of the MO of deception. That's the path that it takes. It questions truth. Then it misrepresents truth. And then it directly contradicts truth, saying that death and judgment are an illusion. But Eve agreed with the falsehood instead of disagreeing with it. And one of the big lies that we see happening around us today is this premise that we must draw circles of inclusion rather than lines of distinction. And one of the phrases that we see people saying all the time, and it's said under the vein of political correctness, and can't we all just get along, and we don't want to be mean and hurtful, is, well, let's just agree to disagree. And every time I hear that, I just want to punch the person. Is that, is that Christian to do that? Uh, what we need are more people that are willing to have the courage to disagree to agree. That's what we need. We don't want people to agree to disagree. We need people to stand for the truth. Eve agreed to disagree. She, she sat silently while the truth was under attack. And I think as these lies become more and more blatant, we're going to need more and more courageous Christians to disagree, uh, to agree. You know, uh, you're not entitled. You, you may be entitled to your opinion. Okay, opinions, people can have them, right? But no one is entitled to lie or to perpetuate a lie. In fact, I've said many times over this last year and all the chaos that's gone on around the world all centered upon a lie, that it's never the loving thing to do to perpetuate a lie. Never. It is never the loving thing to do to perpetuate a lie. God is love. God is the truth. God is not a lie. And when we're perpetuating a lie simply because we're trying to be loving and we don't want to hurt someone's feelings, that is not of God. It never is. God's word certainly does not suggest that death and judgment are an illusion the way Satan said they were. Uh, Jesus put it this way in Luke 12. My friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. I'll tell you who to be afraid of. Fear him who after he is killed has the power to cast into hell. Fear him. See, death is very much a reality. Now, it's not God's fault. God created us perfect in his image and gave us free will. We're the ones that brought death into the world. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. It's not God's fault that death entered the world. We brought death into the world. God, though, in his loving, gracious, merciful nature provided a way out of our predicament. We got ourselves into the predicament and he sent his eternal son to earth to put on human flesh, to live a perfect, holy, sinless life, to pay that penalty for sin so that justice was served, blood had to be shed, and then all of us in simple childlike faith can receive the payment made on our behalf and we don't have to experience death. But to say that death doesn't exist is a blatant, blatant lie. So when he said, you will not surely die, die, that is a lie. And then from there, the deception moves in to shifting the focus from truth 
to perception, have an essential, having essentially obliterated the truth, starts out by questioning, did God really say that? Uh, and then he sort of misrepresents it. You know, you're going to eat of it, touch it, and he just sort of put, paints it in a very cloudy, inaccurate way. And then he comes right out and says, no, as a matter of fact, you're not going to die. And then having, in his mind, obliterated the truth, now he's going to shift from truth to perception. And the pathway to ultimately being deceived always includes going down the path of uh, making perception the reality. Notice what he says in verse 5. Satan says, for God knows. For God knows. I mean, Satan is essentially claiming to be inside the mind of God and impugning God's motives. The reason God issued that warning to Adam and Eve, according to Satan, is because, well, he didn't want you to be like him. God knows that you're going to be like him if you do this, right? Is that why God said what he said? See, he was shifting the focus uh, to perception. Satan was basically saying, in the same sense that truth doesn't matter, reality doesn't matter, facts don't matter. And that's where we find ourselves today. We live in an age of virtual reality. What matters is perception. Style is more important than substance. Form takes precedent over function. The makeup man is more important than the speechwriter. I already showed you this morning how most newscasters are just reading a teleprompter. They're just re- reporting the sound bites that they were told to say, and they're all controlled. If you didn't watch that, I think they taped the services. You ought to go back and watch at least that one clip that I showed. It'll blow you away, and that's just one example. Happens all the time. People have you know, little use for facts anymore. It's, it's all about speculation rather than empirical evidence. These days, it's extremely difficult to look beyond the presentation, the style, the facts of the matter, perception has become more important than reality. And that was Satan's uh, point. But we need to be reminded of what John Adams said about facts. Facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. Facts. The tendency today to ignore facts in favor of perception manifests itself in a multitude of contexts. But most notably, uh, as we talked about in in this full series on spirit of deception or pretense, it's at play anytime someone questions the official government narrative about anything. You know, you ask yourself, like when YouTube banned five not-by-works videos over time and and basically is, is a hair away from banning our entire station and taking it down. Why? I mean, we're nothing in the grand scheme of things. You know, Uh, what what, what are they worried about? See, if they had an argument to make, if their argument could stand the test of empirical evidence, they'd have the argument. See, censorship is always the, the final play by those who are suppressing the truth. Always. Because the truth will win out. And when you can't win out in the argument, what do you do? You censor it. You drop it. You ban it. Right? And, and that's where we're at. I mean, who would have thought in America we would come to the day where people would, would, would have their messages and books and writings banned? That's what Canceling Christianity by my friend David Fiorazzo was all about. He gives lots of examples of it, including 
the ones from not by works. Um, but, uh, you know, as uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle put it, there is nothing more deceptive than obvious fact. Uh, and it's because they cover it up. Ben Shapiro said it this way, facts don't care about your feelings. You know, we, uh, we live in an age where perception trumps reality. And anytime you say something true, if it hurts somebody's feelings, you're hateful and mean and ugly. And so what we have to do is we have to say, we have to ignore whether something is true or not and only say what's going to make the people inside that circle of inclusion happy and not draw lines of distinction. And then finally, the last step is to simply invent new meaning for the truth. To come right out and invent new meaning for truth. To redefine the plain meaning, in this case, of what God had said so that it suits his own needs. Words have no meaning, in other words. So what Satan says is, you will be like God. God did not say anything remotely resembling, you will be like me. Yet Satan invents new meanings to God's word. God said, if you eat it, you will die. What that means is, you will be like me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absurd. And yet that's what we find happening all around us today. It's called the deconstruction of language. The listener, or the reader in the case of written books, gets to determine the meaning. And it leads to real problems with communicating. But that's part of the Luciferians' plan, the, the ones that are conspiring with Satan to take over the world just before Christ returns. That's part of their plan. They know they've got to destroy language. Uh, the great uh, German atheist Nietzsche put it this way, I fear we've not gotten rid of God yet because we still believe in grammar. <laughs> he understood the value of words. Have you ever stopped to think about which came first, language or mankind? Well, well secular, you know, atheistic public school uh, teaching says, oh no, uh, you know, Man came first, and then over millions of years he evolved. He finally crawled out of the cave and got smart enough to go from you know, writing pictures on a wall to actually coming up with language, and man invented language eventually. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says just the opposite. God spoke the world into existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He didn't create man until the sixth day. Language comes way before mankind. Language is one of those, uh, you know, sacred divine institutions like marriage that God created. And in order for Satan to take over the world, he's got to destroy language. And so, you know, we need to understand that meaning always resides with the original speaker or author. If I say something, I, I am the one who determines what I mean. Now, you can be sloppy in your language. You might not be a particularly good speaker or writer. Sometimes what we write is not as clear as it should be. That's fine. That, that's a different issue altogether. But where we have to draw the line is we can never say that the listener gets to determine what the speaker means. And that's exactly what Satan was doing. He was creating new meaning because words have no meaning whatsoever. And, uh, and, and when we get to that point then chaos ensues. And, and the Luciferian satanic credo is order out of chaos. They've got to utterly bring destruction so they can rebuild it according to their own 
divine design. And if you read their literature and their plans and you look at things like the Georgia Guidestones and others, they're, they're wanting to bring destruction. Satan is, is, is called the destroyer in the book of Revelation. He wants to bring chaos and destruction so that he can recreate it in the way he wants. And that's exactly what he does with language. He destroys meaning so that if, you know, if you're offended by something I say, that's my fault. And, and what I'm saying is, I mean, I understand people can be personally attacking, they can be pejorative, they can say mean and hateful things, and that's wrong, and the Bible speaks to that. You need to be gracious. But if I say a fact and an undeniable truth and that offends somebody, that's not on me. Uh, at least it shouldn't be. So how do we guard against this spirit of pretense? Let me just leave you with these verses just to think about and be encouraged. Because we go back to 1 John and he, he gives us the antidote here. He says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. See, it's not just a good idea to study the topic of deception and be aware of all the lies around us. And I've exposed a ton of them in this series. And that's just barely scratching the surface. But we also have to be able to know the truth. The more you know the truth, the more you'll recognize the lies when they come up. By the way, this is a command here. Do not believe every spirit is a command. So this is not something that should be taken lightly. We need to test all things. Again, same thing here in 1 Thess 5. A command. Test all things. Uh, Ephesians 5, Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you're light. Once you come to know the Lord Jesus by faith alone in Christ alone, you're now children of the light. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be finding out what is the acceptable, uh, what is acceptable to the Lord. If more Christians would follow the word of God rather than Tucker Carlson, I think revival would break out overnight, you know. Because just remember, when you're listening to anybody on Fox News, you're being programmed, as I talked about in the first hour. First uh, John 4, again, you, this know, you know, the Spirit, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that uh, confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Again, John's day, there were several issues under, uh, that were attacking the very deity and also the humanity of Christ. But this uh, heretical lie that is, you know, Denying Christ is a, is a manifestation of the spirit of the Antichrist, which is the very next verse. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which is already at work in the world. It all comes full circle to attacking Christ himself, the truth, the truth. So uh, the way to distinguish truth from error is to compare it with what the Bible teaches. And that's why I love coming to churches like Cornerstone Bible. You know, they're not, uh, the, the number of churches that continue to stand firm on the Word of God are becoming fewer and fewer. You realize how many literally thousands of churches shut down and dissolved across the world because of this, uh, the events of the last year? And we deal, we deal with, with that whole subject, by the way, in this, the eighth video in this video series. But... We need churches like this that will stand firm on the word 
more than ever before. So before I pray, let me just mention again that the DVD sets back there. The two newest books that we just came out with uh, during the pandemic, all of our events were canceled last year, like so many people. We couldn't travel. And so during lockdown, I just said, well, I got to be be good steward of the time. And I ended up writing uh, two new books, uh, which I mentioned, Top 10 Reasons and Weekly Words of Life. And also be sure and sign up for our newsletter uh, at our table. We've got a little card you can fill out and put your email on there, and it'll kind of keep in touch with what all's going on. I do every week a different article uh, that you can read. I do a lot of podcasts, uh, four or five each week that you can listen to for free. We can keep up with our travels, where we're headed. And if you're ever in the Denver metro area, we'd love to have you come to Plum Creek Chapel and just... If you're there over a week, and come worship with us uh, on Sunday there. But come by and say hello. Let me close us in prayer, and then I'll turn it back over to Pastor Steve. Father, thank you again uh, just for the truth of your word, knowing uh, the rest of the story. Help us to take comfort and be confident in who you are and all that you've done, knowing that the victory's already won. But help us also to be wise and, and recognize that we need to be prepared for what, what may be coming. Uh, and if it's your will that we walk through a darker times to come, give us the strength and grace that we need, knowing that uh, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. So we just commit this time to you now. Use this message and the proclamation of your word uh, for your glory. If there's someone that doesn't know you that was listening to this online or in this room, we pray that today would be the day of salvation as they recognize their sin and need for a Savior and place their faith in Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.